0: it's a day that changed my life where they were going to drop we had no idea i woke up uh, our bunker was on fire and there, there was a time there where I, th- I didn't think i was going to see my family or my son again this is the fire dog
1: podcast Welcome. My name is Matt Wilson. Thank you for joining us for episode seven of the Fire Dog Podcast. Our guest today is from Duluth, Minnesota. He's currently on temporary assignment at Ramstein Air Base in Germany. He's a former Air Force firefighter, a private pilot, and he currently serves as a physician assistant in the Minnesota Army National Guard. Please welcome Major Al Johnson. Welcome, Al. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm so glad that you could come on and talk with us. So he's on temporary assignment at Launchstool. Is that correct? Well, yeah. Um- Let's define temporary assignment. I'm actually a right. patient at Launch stool. <laughs> we can yeah. get into that later. yeah, we'll get in that a little bit later. i I wasn't sure to, how to introduce you there, but we'll talk a little bit about uh your stay there at Launch stool and, and how you got there but uh yeah, absolutely. How about we start off by you telling us about yourself, so where are you from and anything else you'd like to share with us?
0: Yeah, pretty much a lifelong resident of Minnesota. Um, I joined the Minnesota. Air National Guard in nineteen ninety one. Um initially, uh I had I had actually signed up to be an EOD guy. And the recruiter looked at me and said, Um, what would you want to ever do that for? And uh and got into the fire department actually, um, which in my opinion is the best enlisted job in the military. And I and I miss it dearly. Um so I, I was basically in the uh, I was in the 148th Fighter Wing from 1991 till 2002, and, uh, where I took a few years off and went back to school, and and I went
1: to PA school. Awesome. Yeah. So you landed Air Force Firefighter, so you got pretty lucky. I did, yes. Absolutely. You
0: know, interestingly enough, uh, I've got a, a pretty strong family history of, in EMS. Uh, my mom was a role model for me. She was a paramedic for... 35 years, I think, total. Uh, my stepdad's a firefighter. He was a full-time uh, firefighter in Duluth for just under 30 years, and uh, two of my uncles were uh, firefighters in uh, Fairfax County, Virginia. So uh, it seemed like a pretty natural fit for me. Um, so I was honored to uh, uh, have, I guess, uh, gotten a spot with the 148th uh air crash rescue guys.
1: So you've, you've spent most of the time of your career or if not all of the time in the guard? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. 1991, pretty long time and still kicking here in the army yeah. now. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's getting tougher every, every year. I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you started out as an air force firefighter. How about you tell us about your experiences? as an air force firefighter, why, uh, you already kind of explained why you did that job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I actually went to basic school at, uh, uh, you know, the primary school at at Chanute air force base in Rantoul, Illinois, uh, that base is closed now. Um, and right out of the gate, uh, we were honored to, uh, be deployed in support of, um, uh, desert storm, and operation Southern watch as the first all guard rotation, uh, in 1992. And we were stationed at Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, uh, where I filled the role as an, as an airman, first class, as the base fire inspector. Um, I I actually took over for a good friend of mine, uh, Scott style, who is, uh, uh, currently the assistant chief at Ramstein and, uh, and our paths crossed a few times in our career. And uh, lo and behold, I uh, I met I met him back up here in, in Germany um just this last month. So it's a small world out there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the uh you know we were kind of after the height of the, the conflict in uh uh in Riyadh, but uh, it was a pretty busy base. We had a lot of in-flight emergencies, it was mostly big aircraft, uh RC-135s, KC-135s, AWACS back then in the early nineties. Uh, so the Boeing 707 airframe and, um, we rolled on probably one to two in-flight emergencies a day, it seemed. So it was a pretty busy service.
1: So how'd you land the job as a fire inspector as an A1C? Um, I guess I volunteered for it,
0: but, uh, it was, it was fun in in the sense that it gave me access to everywhere on the base. Um, back then we were filling the big Halon bottles and, and, uh, Uh, I learned how to do that um, and essentially just kind of ran around the ramp in my own truck to make sure all the aircraft were grounded and everyone had a fire bottle in front of it, you know, did all of the, the, uh, fire extinguisher inspections, smoke detector inspections. It was, it was, um, it was a good job. It kept me busy and, uh, the learning curve was, was pretty immense for an A1C, but uh, I think it, uh, it was a good challenge and it paid off.
1: Yeah. Awesome. I'm sure the infrastructure wasn't that much back in ninety one in Saudi Arabia
0: no it was um yeah we actually lived in this in a uh, little development called Escon village which is actually still it, it exists but yeah we had we had pretty good digs there it was it was nice
1: so I understand you have firefighters in your family as you just mentioned, and you also have some history with involvement in 9-11 response yeah um so,
0: as I said, my I have two uncles that were on uh, Fairfax County Fire, and if you remember that um picture of the Pentagon with the flag that's f- furled over the edge after the you aircraft hit it, yeah, yep. my my uncle David is actually the firefighter holding on to the blue corner of that flag yep. in that wow. picture. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so so that's. um that's the involvement with the 9/11 response. I was actually uh out of the guard then and uh that's what really drove me to get back in after 9/11.
1: So did he respond to the Pentagon on 9/11? Uh no, he would not
0: initially. Not as an initial uh response. He he showed up uh I think the next day
1: after to kind of relieve the the DC crews. Yeah, I'm sure that was a long drawn out process it probably took Weeks and months. Oh, that's that's pretty incredible. So now you're in the Minnesota Army National Guard. You're a physician assistant. That's quite a change from a firefighter. Why that transition?
0: Well, um, in my career, uh, short, shortly after I got into the to the guard in '91, I, w- I went to paramedic school, and you know, I've been an EMT since '89. Um, so I got my medic and took a job uh, on a very busy a nine one one response ambulance service, uh, where I worked from 94 till uh, 2008, 2009 actually. Um, and after, and, and I also flew, I flew on helicopter EMS for about 19 years as well. Um, and after about 30,000 ambulance calls, the old back starts getting a little tired and, and, uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was probably just for longevity's sake, um, a good idea to maybe take that next step. So I applied, uh, for PA school and it got in at, uh, the university of North Dakota where I graduated in 2010. And at that time, uh, it actually, in 2009, I, I joined the uh, Minnesota army national guard as a physician assistant and, uh, being in aviation, um, you know, the army allows PAS to be flight surgeons, so uh, that was a natural fit for me because I was a private pilot at the time, and uh, you know, it it gives me good rapport with uh, the pilots that I take care of, of you know, in the guard, uh, just because I can kind of talk the language of, you know, flying, mm-hmm. and uh, we kind of understand, uh, you know, our same common thread and interest right. pretty intimately. Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
1: so, so you get away from the ambulance, you go to the clinic, and then you get back on a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. That's. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's. That sounds like an awesome opportunity that the army has. So you did PA school, and then you joined the army guard. So you didn't do PA school through. No, the I didn't. No, I didn't do the IPAP program.
0: Uh, I did it uh, the civilian route, and um, and got back in, and uh, and I work emergency medicine. Uh, on the civilian side uh, which was once again dovetailed into you know the previous 20 some years of EMS.
1: That's pretty incredible so as a PA now in the guard what do you do do you work emergency medicine do you work family practice? So on the guard side
0: um, you know our primary role is taking care of pilots and uh, as a flight surgeon essentially we we make sure that they're in compliance with any medications that they're taking, uh, that they're healthy enough to fly and operate the controls safely of, uh, of their aircraft and, uh, um, essentially the safety of the crew and everybody involved in, in, uh, aviation. Um, you know, we also fill other roles, uh, you know, like working our battalion aid station at the battalion level. So, uh, it's like a mini ER for me. And, uh, the fact that I work rural emergency medicine, uh, is helpful in the realm that, you know, a lot of that care, especially on the field, is tailgate medicine. And, uh, you, you learn to, um, uh, manage patients with minimal resources available to you. Right.
1: So it sounds like the army was a good fit. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you ride in helicopters a little bit in the army. I also understand you're a private pilot. Yes. Yeah, so um, uh, the the battalion that I'm attached
0: to flies primarily uh, UH UH-60 Blackhawks. Uh, We do have Chinooks as well, but most of my time is Blackhawk time. Uh, On the civilian side, uh, I have a private pilot's license and I fly a single engine um, Cirrus aircraft, Cirrus SR-22, which is actually built in Duluth, Minnesota. It's the airframe with the parachute on it. I'm an IFR rated pilot with uh, around 1200 hours, about a thousand
1: hours in Cirrus. So did your military service encourage you to kind of go the p- private pilot route? No, actually, I did that before I got back in. So,
0: um, and th- I think that was the love of flying EMS, you know, for the previous, you know, 19 years. Um, once again, another natural fit with, uh, you know, being around it for, over half my lifetime.
1: Yeah, awesome. Well, if you're willing, we can get in a little bit about your time or your current deployment at Al Assad. So, you met Ben during a recent visit. The senior enlisted advisor to the chairman, Joint Chiefs of Staff, Colin Lopez, was visiting LaunchDuel Regional Hospital, and Ben was his escort or his projo. So, you were a patient being traded for traumatic brain injury. That was from your experience during the recent missile attacks on Al Assad in January 2020. If you're willing to share, I think our listeners would benefit from hearing your accounts of the event.
0: Yeah. um, uh, Once again, uh, that's the reason I'm here. Uh, I wish it was a TDY, but uh, I'm a patient. And at the time of this recording, I'm actually heading back to theater tomorrow. So, uh, I've been officially discharged from here, which is which is good. So I'll, I'll get back in the fight. But um, yeah, so January 8th um, was certainly a day that changed my life. Uh, as you know, uh, Al-Assad, Iraq, Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq was, was attacked by Iran uh, with uh, 11 theater ballistic missiles. Uh, I happened to be lucky enough to be in close proximity to six of those um, within 20 meters of one of them, and uh, I can tell you that uh, it's a day that changed my life. Um, most of your listeners have probably seen that training video of the meth- the methyl ethyl ketone plant that blew up. Mm-hmm. It was basically 11 of those, pretty dang close, wow. unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it's that's the only way I can really explain it to you. Um, the amount of energy that was released in those is indescribable, and uh, I, I think that training film is a pretty good visual uh, reference to kind of what it felt like. Um, yeah, it was. Um, there, there was a time there where I, th- I didn't think I was going to see my family or my son again. And, uh, you know, that's the reality of war, I guess it, um, suddenly all of the sort of regular everyday stressors in life become very mundane. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah.
1: And thankfully everybody survived. I've, I've heard a few stories. I've heard people with combat experience talk about mortar attacks and how nerve wracking it is not knowing where it's going to hit. Did you have a feeling like that when you were over there and did you guys have any kind of warning or did you know where they were going to drop? We, um, you know, the warning and stuff that's, that's maybe classified,
0: uh, where they were going to drop. We had no idea, you know, it was just luck of the draw of kind of where you were. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of other things that happened that night that I, I don't really have liberty to talk about, but,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um, the, uh, yeah, the fact that we all survived, I think, is the most important thing. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, literally we we climbed out of the bunkers that next morning, and these were the above-ground bunkers. These weren't, you know, the Saddam-era bunkers. These were basically sandbags um, in in uh, like a culvert-style, um, uh, like cement C-shaped bunker that was surrounded by sandbags above-ground. We crawled out of those in the morning. We we're high fiving and um, thankful to be able to fog a mirror. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, it's that's, uh, nobody was bleeding. Everybody had all their limbs on, and uh, but um, yeah, it you know, and that leads into you know recognizing TBI, the reason that I I landed here. You know, being one of the guys that you know I was knocked out during this thing for a lot of it. And uh, I woke up in essentially uh, a fire. Uh, our bunker was on fire and uh, uh, I was in seven different bunkers that night because we we're driven out by fire or other things that were happening. Um, recognizing the TBI the next day was maybe a little difficult because, you know, I was in it. If, uh, you know in retrospect when i look back thinking if i would have been on the outside looking in at this event um you have a whole different perspective on you know recognizing this invisible injury you know and maybe not being in the actual fog of war um uh, yeah.
1: it's it was just it, it was just kind of a surreal event i guess i can't even imagine um, i don't want to say that i've i've experienced anything close to what you have experienced but i i remember watching the news here and it was the first time in my military career i joined in o seven that i've been legitimately worried uh, you know about the events that were unfolding over there um, yeah. I, i'm glad that we've hopefully turn a little bit of a corner or it was, it seems to be an isolated event, but, uh, you yeah, know, it was, I don't want to say it was nerve wracking for me, but it was certainly worrisome. And I'm glad that, that you're okay. And I'm glad that it seems that well, nobody died over there, that, that I know of it, that the news is reported. So yes,
0: yeah, we, we all survived. That's the important thing. Um, long-term care and, and uh, continuation of care for these soldiers that were involved, of course, is important. Um, uh, I think we learned a lot from the TBI standpoint, from this, um, you know, even just from early recognition to, you know, kind of what happens a month out of something like, cause this has never happened before and and to have this many people involved, um, is kind of a historic event. And, uh, you know, I hope we can continue to learn from this event. Uh, for the good of the long-term care of, of everybody that was involved. Um, my symptoms are pretty much resolved now, you know, I'm almost two months out. Uh, I'm not saying they're completely gone, but it's, it's enough for me to get back in the fight. So that's, you know, most, most of the people that were involved in this are, are back in the fight and that, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah.
1: So how about your experience as an Air Force firefighter? Did that influence, or even as a paramedic or spending time in emergency medicine, did that influence your response during something like this? Because we get hit with a lot of a general and when we get hit with emergency calls.
0: Yeah, it did. Um, ironically, the one thing that I really wanted to do is pull some line and put that fire out that I was in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, and uh, and, and uh, nobody really showed up to, to do that. So it kind of burned itself out, but, um, you know, here I am thinking, man, all these years firefighting, here's a real fire. I can actually, that I could do something about and there is no equipment around, but uh, mm-hmm. so, so missed
1: opportunity from the fireside, I guess, but uh, that's <laughs> a, good thing you, a good thing. You stayed in the bunker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so, so obviously a lot of our listeners are firefighters. Yeah. Is, is there anything you can share about how to identify or maybe how to treat patients that we may come in contact with traumatic brain injury? Yeah. Um,
0: I guess the first thing is understanding that, that uh, the symptoms aren't really cookie cutter. You know, it's not like going to a chest pain call where somebody might have chest pain or diaphoretic, they're short of breath. Um, you know, somebody involved in a TBI, especially like this, where, you know, it's different when you're, you know, let's say you're playing first base at a softball game and somebody hits a zinger and cracks you in the temple with mm-hmm. a softball. That's that's a little bit different. You know, it's an event that you can see happen. Uh, there's actually blunt trauma involved. Something like this that's percussive was, um, was a little bit different in the realm of uh, uh, recognizing symptoms. Um, so I guess... The moral of the story is everybody might have different symptoms. Whether it's nausea, uh, whether they're just not making sense, headache, uh, difficulty sleeping, agitation, uh, and of course, you know, these are things that can go on, uh, you know, for a couple of days. But even even at work, if you notice somebody that that uh, had a head injury and didn't really go in for evaluation, and they're just not acting right, you know, step back and think that hey, this could be a TBI. Um, and kind of get involved in, in their care. And, uh, right now the recommendation is, is brain rest. Um, like immediate brain rest, something like this. We, we put people on quarters for 48 hours and that's, uh, you know, no gaming, no TV, no texting, no, uh, listening to music. It's just go sleep two days. You can get up and eat, you can get up and go to the bathroom. We'll see you in 48 hours. And uh, that alone has really changed the course of of uh, head injury care. You know, back when I was a kid, your parents were like, "Well, I got to wake you up every hour on the hour, make sure that you're not sleeping." Well, mm-hmm. that, pendul- that pendulum was swung all the way to the other side. I was like, "Go to bed. See you in two days." And mm-hmm. uh, and most most of these people, their symptoms were were greatly resolved or reduced after just after that uh you know period of brain rest
1: well al i appreciate you sharing your experiences with us um and, and again i'm so glad that you're okay and i'm glad that you returned yeah, to the fight. and and sorry for saying that you're on temporary assignment i, I wasn't sure, <laughs>
0: well, wasn't sorry, sure how to, yeah it is
1: and, and i wasn't sure you wanted to share anything and so i kind of wanted to word it in a way that was appropriate but not necessarily no, a lie so no that's that's
0: okay it's uh uh, you know, I, I still have a special place in my heart for, for all the fire guys out there and gals and, you know, and, and the business as a whole, you know, it was, it's, it's been part of my life for 30 years. And, uh, um, yeah, you know, you, you, you learn a lot, you forget a lot, things change. Uh, you see a lot of things that you don't want your friends to ever see in your lifetime. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh. It's a lot to a lot to deal with, and I know I know there's a lot of folks out there that are, you know, maybe struggling with uh, work burnout and and uh, things like that. Um, I've been there myself. I don't know if that's a great segue into another whole section, but but uh, I guess the moral of the story is, uh, um, you know, find somebody to talk to about that stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that was one of the things that we, we did here, you know, um, in launch duel is you know, people asked us, Hey, are, you know, this was a pretty big event. Are you going to, you know, is this, are are you okay? First of all. And, uh, uh, and they wanted to remind us that this is something that can come up in the future. And, uh, you know, and after 30 years, there's a, there's a lot of those snippets of calls and smells and sounds and visual cues that, that you kind of just put in the Rolodex until you remember them again later on in life. And, um, uh, it's, it's not bad to talk about that stuff with people and, uh, feel free to, to lean on a buddy, on a coworker, on your partner, on your captain, whoever to, uh, you know, to talk about those things. Cause it's natural
1: and, uh, yeah. and, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll avoid burnout. Great, great advice. Um, do, sir, do you have any other final thoughts before we sign out here? I've had a I've had an interesting journey in,
0: uh, in my military and civilian career and, uh, I don't regret, um, uh, any of it at all. I would, uh, I would do it over again in a heartbeat and I do miss being a firefighter. <laughs> I will <laughs> say that. I will say that it that was, <laughs> it, was
1: it, it was honestly the best, uh, the best military job I've ever had. That's awesome. It's a pretty great job. Well, thanks so much for joining us and I'm glad that you're safe and thank you for your service. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah likewise. Yeah. Be, be safe. Will do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the fire dog podcast. You can find more content just like this regularly posted to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash the fire dog podcast. That's facebook.com forward slash the fire D a W G podcast. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends and coworkers. If you'd like to support, don't forget to rate this episode wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also show your support by buying some merchandise. Do you drink coffee? How about water? There are coffee mugs and tumblers for sale with the Fire Dog podcast logo on them. Part of the money spent helps us fund this podcast. Head over to our Facebook page for the link. This is host Matt Wilson and guest Major Al Johnson. Until next time, stay safe.